0: Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock and Wei Ting. It's a special free edition of the G1 Climax podcast following day 15 with an A-block show from Sendai. And we are going to be playing the popular game of G1 Math followed by G1 Scenarios on today's show. How are you, Wei? Doing all right, John. How are you? I'm doing well. Is this your free voice? You're not Going to give away uh, all of your inflections and reactions.
1: This is the free voice. This is my paid voice. I yep. talk like this on all the Patreon shows. Okay, I'll no, use my
0: oh, free voice today. Yes, yes. Put the other one behind the, the paywall. Uh, that will be returning uh, tomorrow on the wellness policy. So pay to hear waiting's... Uh, exclusive voice well you
1: pay to hear uh the wellness policy live thursday at one o'clock if you want to join us of course and breaking news here dan the mouth levransky will be joining me and jordan to talk about music on the wellness policy wow i'm very excited late edition
0: is this is this uh dan levransky on video um
1: could be i mean i don't know i didn't really ask him actually so it might be audio only but in either case, um, that show will be on the cafe for patrons again at Thursday at one o'clock, but then free for everybody. So I'll change my voice somehow between the live show and the the, the public one.
0: Wow. Well, that's uh, that I look forward to hearing you. So uh, tune into that if you're a patron. Live at one p.m. with Way Jordan Goodman and special guest Dan the Mouth Levaransky. I will be back on Thursday for a solo G1 show, and uh. It should be fun. It's a B-block show, and we'll be kicking it, the old-school G1 podcast, where I would just talk to myself, argue with myself, come up with points that I would uh, disagree with uh, by the end of the show. It should be a lot of fun. I look forward to hearing it. Let's start off, uh, are you down to chat a couple of news items first way? Absolutely. All right, well, we are going to start off with the announcement of... The Friday Night Fright. Fright? Really? Who came up with that? You? Oh, it's it's huge. The Friday Night Fright. It's daunting to be looking at how much we have to watch on Friday night. It's also a fight, and thus it is a fright.
1: Daunting and fight. Okay. Friday Night Fright. Mm. I'll let you
0: handle uh, mentioning that one. Still a work in progress. I'm disappointed that no side has branded this this evening of a uh, 30 mm. minutes of head to head, but we now have. Uh, in addition, we talked about this yesterday. Uh, Tony Khan adding the one hour buy in that they're going to do on YouTube from nine to ten against uh, a portion of SmackDown, and now we know the two matches: Bobby Fish versus Lee Moriarty is going to happen on Friday night, accompanied by Brian Danielson. Against Minoru Suzuki.
1: This was some late breaking news on a Tuesday evening that seemingly, at least, you know, among wrestling Twitter, maybe at least our our demographic seemed to really break the Internet. Um, It was definitely an unexpected um, announcement. You know, I think when we all found out that, okay, Tony Khan was going to put on this buy in set up matches prelude matches for Brian Danielson and Bobby Fish ahead of their match on Dynamite um i mean i said it on on our show last yesterday you know i mean maybe the reason why tony khan's not you know putting it out there is because it's probably not going to be any sort of major major league significant opponent certainly can't be a bigger match than bobby fish versus brian danielson and then uh a few hours later Uh, there you go you know just just kind of sliding it in there Tony Khan in his tweet saying oh by the way you're getting Brian Danielson versus Maduro Suzuki on the pre-show to Rampage on YouTube so what do you what do you think of the decision John
0: so it's noteworthy the fact that the the biggest match that AEW has for I would say either night is going to be on the YouTube portion um, and that's you you could certainly debate that this is that is a match that if you announce was going to start rampage would be uh, i would think be a, a significant match to start off with now selfishly i think if you're a fan you are not going to have to have any concern about a lack of time for these two entrances being cut off which was an issue from Minoru Suzuki and commercial breaks are not going to be a factor so from the fan experience i think this is how you would want Danielson and Suzuki if you are going to get it on a couple of days' notice. And I know some people are instantly going, oh, such hot shotting. I was like, this this match was never happening. They were not holding back for this match at a later date. This is one that, yes, absolutely reactionary to what has been. Uh, they are tasked with facing on Friday. But this is Tony Khan playing Fantasy Booker with the... Enormous wealth of options he has at his disposal to put together a match that is the match is the story. That is it. It's the novelty of seeing these two second match they have ever had. But uh, those that saw the first, it's probably a relatively small number from, I think,
1: 2004. Oh, I feel at least in in Danielson's case, I mean, a very different wrestler today. Uh, and, And I'm sure Suzuki as well. You know, so I think it'd, it'd pretty much be a very different match, even if you did see it initially. But I I definitely think that Tony Khan is taking this perhaps a lot more seriously than even I thought, you know, despite perhaps um, that, that tweet that he sent out there. And a shot like this is... Um, is definitely a big move to say, to tell us how much he looks at this as an important night for his company um in terms of uh, bragging rights. So, you know, um it's it, the the question is whether or not this is truly a hot shot. And because if, if this match did not take place at this time, was there another scenario where it could take place? And for, you know, a Minoru Suzuki I he's a big deal to a lot of us. I don't think he's a big deal to your average person watching TBS or TNT. Um, That's a matchup that will garner a lot of headlines among you know the hardcore wrestling fan base, and certainly it's bigger than anything that you know has been announced on Rampage. Um, But I also think it it goes to show you how much Tony Khan doesn't like to change up the card once he's announced it, because he very well could have you know switched the place of one of the matches on Rampage to put onto this show instead of, um, you know, uh, having Suzuki versus Brian on the show. Um, but yeah, it's ultimately to the benefit of the fan. Um, and also like, we don't know how long Suzuki is going to be in, in the city, uh, or, or in the country. I mean, you know, um, full gear, like we, everybody wanted, what is it? Moxley versus Suzuki for all in for some reason that didn't work out. You know, instead they saved it for the Cincinnati match um. Now, you know, is there another point where you could have had Suzuki do this? I don't know. I don't exactly know what his schedule is. Like, he's got a few
0: more dates for, like, two more weeks here. Like, you can't imagine. Regardless, if if you were going to do another Suzuki match in AEW, it wasn't going to be this long, built-up thing. It was going to be a snap announcement of a match. Like, that's pretty much all you can do with a Minor Suzuki on a limited schedule here in the U.S., I would certainly push back if they decided, well, Friday night we're doing uh, <laughs> Omega and Hangman Page. Yes, that would be 1000% hotshotting where you have built for something and now you're just cashing in now for this one night thing. Instead, they are what can we do? We're not going to we're not even going to upset our Rampage card, which I think you could have you could have done, but obviously he wanted to stick to that. Like this is all bonus, and I, I really don't believe we would have been seeing this match if not for this unique scenario on Friday night where Tony Khan felt the need to add this buy-in. And I think if you li- listen to Tony Khan, who was doing media at, at Barstool uh, yesterday, that I think he has a much more measured expectation of Friday, that they are not necessarily expected to win. I mean, he has certainly come off the idea of we're going to beat SmackDown to... I know that we have the better show and that seems almost like he's leaning into that side that regardless of numbers, I think his fan base is going to be very satisfied with with Friday's presentation, even though the cable numbers may very well fall in WWE's favor.
1: Yeah, I think it's certainly a different tone from what you you heard of, uh, you know, at least via Twitter of I would say more the Impact Wrestling commercial type of Tony Khan, um,
0: you know, different, but, but the, even the different tone
1: a different tone yes but even in within this interview he <laughs> he didn't shy away from kind of talking shit about the the raw the quality of raw from the night prior calling it something to the effect of like a it sucks did you yeah did you or see that go home show or like you know yeah deliberately kind of talking about the competition and um, yeah it's I think ultimately again it's it's a it's it's a game it's a way to try to attract more attention to rampage which is the ultimate goal of of Tony Khan's at the moment um, I think, you know, now with much more tempered expectation of perhaps what, what the result will be. And, uh, yeah, all, you know, again, ultimately, you know, the idea is to get more people watching wrestling on a Friday. And I feel like both companies are doing a good job of of assuring that this week.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it makes it interesting to see, um, you know, if if we get a breakdown of SmackDown, like when when this match starts on YouTube is there, is there any uh, decrease of the SmackDown audience that is flipping over, that is uh, maybe watching with two screens, for instance? I mean, there's it's very hard when you're getting into comparisons of a show on cable versus an hour on YouTube, uh, because most are going to just look at how does Rampage perform from 10 till 11 versus SmackDown from 8 till 1030, and if we get that... That thirty minute breakdown of SmackDown of how the sides fared in those thirty minutes with one another, if if the buy in helps get your your fan that maybe was gonna watch SmackDown and now they're going to tune they're going to tune out after an hour or just watch AEW because they're giving you two hours instead of one.
1: It's an interesting question, yeah. How much of the audience that would be interested in a Brian Daniel- Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki match were planning on watching SmackDown to begin with? Because my suspicion is that, I mean, that overlap might not be as big as um, many men may think. Um, I think at this point, like, if you're somebody who cares enough about Minoru Suzuki, you're probably not watching that much of SmackDown anyway. Um, so, you know, as far as, like, how big of a dent goes, um, I I think both will take a dent, but I don't think it'll necessarily be from each other. Like, what else is the competition that night, John? What time does the uh, baseball start? Baseball.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's why um, SmackDown's on FS1, is because of the game that's on uh, Fox. I don't know the start time off the top of my head. Maybe I can uh, pull that up as we are uh, looking here. But, yeah, I mean, that that's going to be key. And as we will get into these... 807 broad- is... Uh, so the there game. you go. It'll be against the entirety of both episodes.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, you know, if anything's going to take a dent, it's going to be from baseball. And probably not from Minoru Suzuki being on SmackDown... Uh, or Sorry, being on the Rampage show, but I think
0: all, the and, and it's also a network game. Like we've been looking at baseball just on cable. This is going to be that much larger of a baseball audience. You don't, you don't have NFL on top of it, but nonetheless, this will be a wider viewed game than what we've seen on FS1 and ESPN in theory.
1: Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, so much of this comes down to what the spin is going to be on the uh, on the Monday when these numbers come out. Are people going to be comparing what SmackDown on FS done, FS1 FS does as a whole? Or are they strictly going to look at this half an hour of overlap to see, you know, who actually wins and who doesn't? Um, but ultimately, this is all really just, I think, a game for bragging rights um, for the next week. Really, like who who is going to be the talk of the Twitter? Um, and even if WWE might win the rating, you know AEW can surely, I would say, rely on the fact that they could probably claim that they had maybe the best match of the night. But also, we haven't seen Sasha versus Becky. Um, that could potentially be a great match too, provided if they, you know, are able to, to deliver a satisfying conclusion. But um, yeah, it's just again, it's it's all just a, a a neat kind of like bonus in the schedule for a big wrestling night, I would say.
0: So raw from Monday night, uh, they went up against Monday night football and two, uh, baseball games. So this was significant sports competition and raw got hit 15% in viewership falling to 1,582,000 viewers on the lower end of this year. Their lowest since July 5th and dropping 19% in the demo from a point five two to a point four two this week. Um, Significantly hit in men eighteen to forty nine that fell twenty five percent. Although one area was women twelve to thirty four that was up this week by twenty percent. What really hurt RAW was that they started off terrible in the first hour. They grew in hour two, and kind of subsided in hour three. The audience did drop in in hour three. It was the lowest of the three hours. Uh, but the demo was. Just behind hour two, but ahead of hour one, so it seemed that there was, uh, you know, there there wasn't even like the big spike at the beginning of RAW. They kind of had to work out of a out of a ditch to begin with uh, on this show. So, I mean, this is somewhat similar to what we saw on Friday night, where I think you can you can look at this number, and this is not one that I would be sounding the alarm over. This has proven to be uh, significant. Uh, a significant handicap for wrestling programming going against the Major League Baseball playoffs and, on top of that, uh, Monday Night Football. But uh, a decrease, nonetheless, in, in several key areas uh, for Raw that, um, I guess, you know, the Usos spending their night off was not enough to uh, convince people to stay for the full three hours.
1: Do you think, like, the you know, for me, like, what's been significant about these few weeks has been the the very shortened match lengths of several of the matches, including, you know, this, the, the tournament matches. And, um, do you think that will change once baseball competition is over and football competition? I mean,
0: I think that it's something that we've seen enough of, um, enough of a variance that it seems that WWE just dips into and out of this kind of idea of match presentations that I don't know if just, I'm sure it's playing some kind of factor that they are actively counter-programming, coming up with their angles before the football game starts that we we have seen, um, that there is certainly a response level to that, but I don't know if the match lengths are necessarily a direct response to that. It seems like that is, especially we're seeing on Raw this week, NXT, it's been pretty consistent since the rebrand of shorter matches, and I think trying to appeal their view of trying to appeal to a younger audience that they believe maybe has a shorter attention span, and I don't know if that is necessarily uh bared out as as they have seen, but I, I, I see this going kind of—there are weeks where I think we will see the lengthier matches, and then there's weeks like this where they're just going to ha- have quick, 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 get as many people on, and, like, I don't know if you saw NXT on Tuesday, but they were starting where it was— angle next person coming out for the match like it was just constant of not letting you have any breathing room as they're they're just trying to have a fast-paced show
1: Mm, yeah I started watching NXT have not finished it do you have any thoughts
0: um it was you know a show that I think it's it's still a big transition that you're watching where it's still introducing a lot of new names they're now they do have a focus with this Halloween Havoc show so they have confirmed it'll be Tommaso Ciampa and Braun Breaker because Ciampa beat uh, Joe Gacy, who it looks like they're linking him up with a uh, Parker Boudreaux, who now has the name of Harland.
1: Okay. Harland, yes. Yeah. Nice. And then, uh, WWE name that nobody else has. Sure.
0: Yes. Harland was was One free. Name? No last name. Uh, Har Harland. Yes. Harland. First name Har, last name Land. Okay. That's it. Uh, and then Halloween Havoc will also have a spin the wheel, make the deal match with Raquel defending against Mandy Rose and a triple threat for the tag titles where Io Shirai and Zoe Stark defend against Gigi Dolan and JC Jane and Indy Hartwell and her best friend Persia Perota.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, my favorite actress.
0: T- yeah. Takeover, this will not be. Although I think Chomp Ooh. and Braun Breaker will have some, um, you know, that that is the most... Um, I guess, noteworthy match that they have promoted in this 2.0 era. Yes, it is.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I look, I, I, I'll i be watching that one with interest because it's such a big spot for Braun Breaker and really maybe, you know, significant matches for really everybody up and down the card. But um, I think it just, you know, will continue. I, the most sobering thing will be when they actually brand a show a takeover and the quality will be, I'm assuming, drastically different from the takeovers of old. So, um, yeah, it's, it's still a transitioning product.
0: Yeah. The two other things was they did do a tag match with Kyle O'Reilly and Vaughn Wagner against Pete Dunne and Ridge Holland. And as you can expect, the stuff with O'Reilly and Dunne was was pretty good. It was just limited. And the focus was Vaughn Wagner. This match was very much about him and, he got the big comeback spot and pinning Ridge Holland, so I guess they are they are getting his losses uh, taken out because in theory, next week should be, or I guess he's, yeah, next week would be his last week because the roster changes go into effect next Friday, and I don't know if we'll see Ridge beyond next week if we even see him here. He took the fall to Von Wagner, so that may as well be... As much as you're going to get out of Ridge Holland on the way out here, and that begs the question where Pete Dunne goes on NXT Solo, uh, Grayson Waller is now a Golden Gloves boxer, as he noted that Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder know who I am, as he did a promo wearing boxing gloves, so that's great. Someone watched the fight on Saturday and came up with a an idea here. And then the main event, I actually like the way they, they did this, where they promoted Swerve Scott against Santos Escobar and they had a nice match. This was certainly on the higher end scale of NXT matches of late, and he pins Escobar with the JML driver, and instead it's Carmelo Hayes who is out ringside to assist, and he's got his contract from the breakout tournament that they treat like money in the bank, where he uses the contract to beat Swerve Scott. So they swerved you in Swerve Scott's exit for the North American Championship. So they got the title off him, but in a in a different way than probably most assumed where Santos Escobar lost instead of winning the title
1: very much on line, I would say with main roster style booking, um, yeah, all the way down to this kind of money in the bank rehearsal. I think, I think it adds to some maybe added interest to this. Um, uh, what did he win this breakout tournament deal? Mm-hmm. If he could have cashed in here, why didn't he cash in on the, on Chompa? If he could do this,
0: well, he's, you know, he's, he's got, um, he really wants to control North America. You know what I mean? Like the, the world is a little daunting. He's still young in his career. He just, he's breaking out and you, mm. you start, you start with a continent and then you move right. on to the world. So, okay. And saw, saw his opportunity here. Uh, so that, that was NXT
1: 2.0. Were you surprised? I mean, do you, have you gotten any update about whether or not the half hour on Friday will be commercial free? Because they didn't mention that on, on the show, did they?
0: They did not. I didn't hear that. I asked someone who told me that they're had that they under the impression it will be, but that they hadn't officially been told that. This is someone at WWE. So I guess they're under the impression it will be, but I guess they, they have not been told that with 100% confirmation yet
1: okay yeah interesting and they
0: they have not advertised it which you think they Mm -hmm. would have between raw and nxt like all the ads it's just pushing the supersized aspect of it and not noting the commercial free portion
1: at least like you know watching um what little i did of nxt yesterday uh and seeing the commercials they didn't even advertise the extra half hour on the commercial
0: did they did you see that i know on the raw ones i i I wasn't paying super close attention to it, but all the ads that I had seen, it did have like the logo with supersized written on it. Um, yeah, those but what does that mean?
1: Supersized doesn't necessarily mean an extra. Like if you, if you weren't following the online. Oh, you
0: mean like directly saying eight till 1030. Yeah, yeah. right. Um. You yeah. Figured. I. Th- I. Th- I certainly feel, especially Raw on Monday. I thought there would be a much larger push for SmackDown. Um. That it's number one. Just alerting people. It's on FS1. You take for granted. Um. That people are going to know that on Friday. Like, Do you think that could be a USA thing? Well, it's. But they have done it in the past, have they? Not? I. I remember when. When the. When the switch first happened, and they started SmackDown on Fox with Raw on USA. And I and I specifically asked about that and was told that it was. Listen, both sides know what the game is. Like we have shows on both both sides, and there's going to be promotion. I I don't think there's going to be anything that's going to hamper WWE from being able to plug a big SmackDown on Fox. Um, you know, now, and
1: is, is FS one potentially different because of cable?
0: Uh, I, I just think like for, for one week, it's like that's that's your part. It is your partner. Yeah, so I I can't imagine that being um a sticking point on on the side of USA for one week for something that is big for one of our partners to promote this. It's just
1: a little unusual, you know, that for such a um I don't know like a like a different type of strategy
0: to promote a show that it goes both ways. And I mean, this has been reported on the like WWE. It's like they have to promote their big shows every month on a on a NBC Universal. Streaming service and use mm-hmm. Fox to promote that. So I mean, it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is uh all of our news to get to as we get into the G one and at the end of this. um Do you ha- do you have some top matches to predict or to share at the end of this? I do. Yes, I do. All right. We will get to that. So today's show is our second in a row in Sendai at the ZBO Arena with Kevin Kelly on commentary. Attendance today was. 1,303, so an improvement over Tuesday's card with the B-Block. And I I also went through the attendances. So after uh, 15 days of the tournament, we have – where is – I'll I'll get to this at the end. But the the A-Block is ahead of the B-Block if you want to look at actual attendance figures. We started with Hiromu Takahashi and Kosei Fujita a lot similar to the Oiwa match the day prior, where it was Hiromu lighting this dude up with chops and just playing the superior throughout. Fujita got an inside cradle that Hiromu escaped, beat him down with more chops, and then a deep Boston Crab pulling him away from the rope, just as he did Oiwa. And Fujita taps in 7 minutes and 48 seconds.
1: Didn't get a, get a chance to watch it. How was it?
0: Uh, I like... This was more so a... Showcase of Hiromu to just be kind of your, your veteran junior heavyweight presence that can play subtle bully. And I liked him in this role in in both nights, more so this one with with Fujita. Uh, This was just a different showcase of Hiromu that I thought worked. Gave him, you know, some, some, uh, just a different showcase of Hiromu. Okay. Kota Ibushi versus Satoshi Kojima. This is not a tournament match as this would have been Ibushi and Naito. So that would have been a huge match on this card. And these two had a pretty nice match together. Kojima hit a DDT on the apron and Ibushi just lay there and rolled with a giant drop to the floor. And you just heard this thump in this empty arena of Ibushi's body falling onto the floor. Kojima used a brain buster, and then Ibushi fires back with a lariat, and Kojima hits his own lariat, and Ibushi sells it tremendously, just dropping down. He ducks, hits Kojima with a half-and-half suplex, a knee strike, and Kamigoye for the victory in 14 minutes and 56 seconds.
1: I thought a really strong effort from both guys, you know, like these, I mean, it's it's sort of like a silver lining of this Naito injury is the fact that we get some pretty fresh matches with... Guys like a Satoshi Kojima who are taking these opportunities very seriously. He really tries in these. And I thought this match was a better match than the Moxley match that we saw him in at All Out. Uh, However, in the context of the G1, I can't really say the match grabbed me in any significant way. Because we have seen so much better already in the tournament. And I wouldn't say this was necessarily a memorable match in Ibushi's G1 run. But really solid in terms of action and intensity. I went large one cream.
0: I, I, went, I went large one milk one sugar on this one. I thought they had a really it was, it was a nice uh, nice match to start. I think it was you know you could see Kojima wanted to to work at, at a big level here. I thought it was you know yeah I, I agree with a, a lot of what you stated. Yujiro against Tomohiro Ishi. So Yujiro's out and Ishi is out as well with eight points. So uh, they're just kind of fighting here for points. Yujiro attacks him before the bell and uses the walking stick on Ishii and would drop him with a fisherman buster. And this began Ishii holding on to his neck, lots of selling from Ishii, which is always a good thing for, for a match. And the scariest spot of this match sees Yujiro lift this guy up for a buckle bomb, but he comes up short and Ishii just crashes into the corner, coming down. This looked horrifying. It was one of the sloppiest buckle bombs I've ever seen. Oh, it like, was very scary. Just terrible. Like he yeah. didn't have enough to get him in there, so he just dr- dumps him and could have no- done God knows what to this guy. Uh, it was I-, I hated this. It terrible. was just really awful looking.
1: Really terrible.
0: Like I I don't
1: think Udrio should be in the G one anyway. But like when when it's something, man, and and this you know like I don't think he ever like. He doesn't really injure people. Like I don't at least I don't think he has that track record or reputation at all. So this is probably just another. This anomaly. is very
0: sloppy. Very, very sloppy.
1: But nonetheless, like, you know, this coupled with just the the fact that the he's by far to me the weakest person in the G1. Um and I just I don't really want to see him in next year.
0: He hits the Miami shine, gets a near fall, Ishii recovers, hits a headbutt to the skull, great. Yujiro hits his own brain buster after countering Ishii's, and he kicks out of pimp juice. And then Ishii blocks big juice and fires at Yujiro like a ram. Yujiro staggers up from a German suplex, kicks out of a lariat before falling to the vertical drop brain buster, and Ishii wins in 17 minutes. Uh, I really wanted to dislike this because I just was so upset watching that buckle bomb and just hating this. They did have a really strong end to this match. I would say that this was probably Yujiro's uh, buckle bomb aside, best match that he had of the G1. But God, I hated that spot. And I echo everything you said about Yujiro. He's dragged down this block tremendously for me. um, And he's done this every year. I think that to look at the tradition that New Japan has where we have this this golden rule of no junior heavyweight in the G1, and we rarely will go outside of our our roster to protect the integrity of this G1 because a spot has to be designated for Yujiro. It's like, get out of here. I hope this is our end of the Yujiro G1 experience because I've lived through too many of them. hmm Yeah. I, I thought they you
1: know, scripted some nice near falls and no selling at the end, but the vast majority of this match I just thought was really shitty. You know, and, and you it's basically a case where in order to get to the nice close, you had to bear with, like, these 10-plus minutes of slow, boring, low-effort Yujiro offense that even Ishii's amazing selling couldn't save for me. And, you know, like, yeah, I, I thought Ishii's comeback and the rush towards the finish was, was well done, but I, you know, typically, a, a, an Ishii match in the G1 is guaranteed to at least be, like, a large or above, but I couldn't even go large on this one, so... Uh, medium one one cream one sugar one sleeve
0: damn put it putting youjo in its place here um uh I, I can't be so uh dismissive I, I did I did give this large w- w- with a milk and a sleeve but um it kicked the sugar out of me with that that buckle bomb screw up but then it takes us to this the reenactment of the Lord of the Rings not any specific movie all of them is what this match felt like they did the two suite at the beginning so they're on the same page tangaloa is he's like the the match is it, kenta versus tangaloa by the way sorry sorry kenta and tangaloa so we have tangaloa as the guy that is is part of the bullet club but he's also someone that he understands um that his teammates are assholes and he has to he has to reconcile that with his own
1: ethics and Kenta is still very much alive in the G1 here. He is uh, among sort of like the traffic jam, uh, you know, heading towards yes. the, the top spot. So, But has his, to win here. His chances are still very much alive, where Tangaloa is straight out. So, you know, you figure, oh, okay, like, could this be a case of simply a Bullet Club member giving another Bullet Club member their points to keep their their faction alive? Oh, it's never that easy, is it?
0: No, no, that does make logical sense here. Tangaloa has no prayer of winning. Kenta does. That's where it ends. Kenta used the green killer, double stomp off the top, and then he splashes Tangaloa into the referee in the corner. And Tangaloa tells Kenta, face me like a man because you've been acting like a bitch all match. So Kenta decides, well, I'm going to forearm you in the dick. And that's what Kenta does. He then kicks the rope Into Giotto's balls. And he has... uh, He has, I guess... um, Taken the testicles away from both men. For the remainder of this match. And then Kenta decides... You know what this match needs? A kendo stick. So he brings out the kendo stick. Which Kevin Kelly notes he, he has... Prevented himself from using all tournament long. It's like this is his cheat day. In Sendai. He goes for the stick... But then when the referee is coming back to, Kenta does Vieti Guerrero spot going down and pretends like Giotto has hit him, thinking logically that this would lead to anything, and the referee's like, well, Giotto did this. Whether it was in the ring or not, I was out. I can't I can't do anything here, Kenta. So Loa hits a Loa blow to Kenta, grabs the Kendo stick, there's an inside cradle that gets blocked, they run him into the buckle kenta then slips off the shoulders and rolls up tangaloa grabbing the rope for leverage and he pins his partner tangaloa way how long do you think this match went well i'm looking at the time oh okay so i know how long it went dude somebody sat down and said they went through this whole card and they said kent and tangaloa third match on the show 22 minutes and 13 seconds Yes, that sounds about right for these two.
1: It was uh it was very unfortunate, you know, and if, if there's anything perhaps um you know, we talked about the silver lining of maybe getting uh, some some very interesting replacements for a Tetsuya Naito, uh maybe some of the repercussion is the fact that we have to give more time to matches that don't deserve it, like this one. On these cards, because this certainly did not have enough substance to go north of 20 minutes. Didn't even have enough substance to go 12, I would say.
0: 12, this, 12 is where I would have capped it.
1: This was a match that, you know, felt as gimmick ridden at times as a Yano match, which probably means it should have stayed a Yano match length instead of going 22 minutes. I thought there were some. You know, compelling moments of Kinta trying to outgame Loa, but certainly not enough to maintain the interest and certainly not enough action to maintain the interest. So it really dragged for me. I went uh, below average, certainly for this one. Medium one cream.
0: Uh, This was a medium coffee from um, the hotel lobby.
1: Ooh, like from a from a Keurig, maybe. Yeah. Not
0: even a Keurig, like
1: a knockoff brand.
0: Yeah. This is and you and you go and they told you that the, the coffee's actually brewing. It'll be about twenty minutes before it's ready, so you and have you to have wait to, on top of it, and it's and not great to, coffee.
1: You have to pay for it.
0: Skip this match. Avoid this match. Zach Saber Junior against Toriano. So Zach has ten points, so he's very much in the mix. Toriano has eight points, so he even if he won though he, he, he he's lost the tiebreaker. He, He's lost Dakota, so it's yeah. kind of irrelevant for Toriano here. So we have a lot. We have you know these last he, three. He's out. He's out. Like, yeah, Toriano's out. He can play spoiler. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Zach applies a choke on Toriano as he is being introduced in the ring. So Yano's still got his jacket and his sash on. He escapes a Cobra tw- twist and retreats to the floor. Yano takes Zach to the backstage area. Once they are in the back, that is when the count begins. Toriano emerges by himself, returns to the ring when Zach stumbles out with a blindfold on. He is lost. How do I get back to the ring? And then suddenly it dawned on Zach, wait a minute, there is nothing stopping me from taking this off my head. And he did. And thus he could see. It, it is one of the shortcomings of this blindfold gimmick. It is, there is a very easy defense to it. Well, it's it's more about, uh, I suppose, how... I-
1: beyond the blindfold, you know, how is he chained to the back? Um, yeah, ultimately, yes, there's a way for him to escape beyond the, uh, 20, 20 seconds.
0: We might not have seen Yano deliver a concussion to Zach backstage. And thus he is, he is, um, out of his element, not being able to go to this immediate answer of I'm blindfolded. I'm going to take this off. So he removed it, returned to the ring in time. And Gets caught in an arm bar, but Zack quickly counters to apply his own arm bar, and then the handcuffs are brought into the match. They end up fighting, and the two are handcuffed to each other's wrist, and they are on the floor, and they begrudgingly must work together to get back and break the count, or else they're both fucked. Now, if Toriano was a real asshole, he would not cooperate here, because his... Staying on the floor would prevent Zach from getting his points and ruin his tournament. But Toriano doesn't think that way. He wants the win. And they roll back in at the count of 19. Zach gets a triangle with handcuffs on. Mm-hmm. Try try that.
1: Dude, it would help. Are you kidding me? Like, you never lose the, the, the wrist.
0: Okada would love to be in a handcuffed match, I'm sure. It's true. That that is something that should be maybe explored at a future um you know tournament. Maybe maybe Naga can introduce this like handcuffed jiu matches.
1: That would be very interesting. You would certainly get a lot more activity, you know, can like I know we're joking here, but I'd be very interested, okay? Like for how many jiu matches have you seen where like they just refuse to engage? Or, or, like, I guess you may, you might get a lot of just, like, laying in guard, you know? Um, but, yeah, at least you, you wouldn't get I would watch it. I would
0: 100% watch it out of curiosity. But he gets the triangle, and Yano has the key, but he can't unlock it in time and has to give up in 6 minutes and 43, 43 seconds. Uh, I did not go double XO on this, but I, <laughs> this was great. I enjoyed this a lot, okay? That's for all the people who think I'm all dull and boring and I don't like anything out of the norm. This was great fun, and it was the perfect length.
1: I totally agree. I mean, my big question going into this is that would this match interrupt Zach's streak of standout G1 performances? And the answer was no. No. Even within the context of a Yano comedy match, I thought you had a highlight of a performance from both of these guys. It was certainly one of the better Yano matches in the tournament. Uh, maybe some I'd say second, say, behind the Ibushi match. This would be number two for me. Okay, yeah. I thought it had strong comedic energy from the very start. It had a good sense of urgency from both men that was well maintained throughout the entire time of it. But, of course, it all comes down to the main gimmick of the match and how clever and how creative it was. And I thought this one was very original and very sensical. Yano does his cuffing gimmick, you know, almost in every match. And all would have worked out fine if he managed to cuff Zack onto the rail. But in MMA, John, what's your best strategy against an expert grappler? It's to keep your distance, not letting him get a hold of you. Zack used his disadvantage to his advantage by cuffing Yano onto him. And that was the beginning of the end. He could not escape the grasp of the best submission wrestler in all of professional wrestling and put him into a, a Kimura right in the in, in, on the on the outside. And then back in the ring, it was like multiple pinfalls before the triangle and then the arm bar tap out. I, I thought it was very sensical um, and it was creative
0: and it was short. Everything you could ask for in a Daniano match. Large and a milk for me on this one. Uh, I'll throw in I'll throw in a sugar, too. It was sweet
1: large one cream one sugar for me as well which is probably the top end of my yano scoring
0: yeah yeah in in going through all my rankings uh yano did not perform too well in the overall um average of my of my ratings but it's impossible
1: for this style of match to go XL. like unless unless he somehow like puts in more physical effort and and like gets the shit beat out of him like it's just it, it doesn't go that high
0: the main event was Shingo Takagi and the great Okan, both men with 10 points and thus both very much alive in all of this. And Takagi's got the left side of his rib cage taped up and, and what I liked about this was the first half of the match, it was not so much the great Ocon attacking the ribs but rather Takagi being handicapped by this injury because so much it affects everything when you've got a rib injury to sell and Takagi was great at selling these ribs that any offense he wants to get off has a toll it pays or it plays on on the state of his health. So that was great. And then the midway point, that's when Okan starts to attack the ribs. And they had many different uh, flurries of strikes with one another. And Okan goes after the rib area. And he dumps him onto the top rope. Ribs first. He just bounces off. Takagi comes back with a made in Japan. The eliminator gets stopped. They run the ropes. And it culminates with Great Okan hitting a lariat that forced kevin kelly to scream out oh what a goddamn clothesline which for this day forward that will be the name of the great Ocon lariat the goddamn clothesline god damn uh yeah throw kevin kelly should throw goddamn
1: in there more often why it's, not
0: you know every every now and then you know you you throw in a goddamn everybody it
1: everybody in wrestling is saying bitch and shit Come on, let's just, you know,
0: dial it back a little. Yeah,
1: there's there's nothing like a good goddamn.
0: Yeah. R- religion it's it's there, you know. A great a, a nicely timed Jesus Christ has a has a time and a place. Uh,
1: it's just, sure, sometimes, yeah.
0: And then Takagi has his big comeback with a pumping bomber and a last of the dragon to win this one in 25 minutes and 51 seconds. Uh, I I enjoyed this a lot. I have I have not enjoyed Grado Khan consistently throughout this tournament. He's had his moments, uh, but I I thought these main events that he has been thrust into, uh, mainly because of the the Naito situation, I think has uh, put him into this this spot. I think that he's had some really nice matches in these these main event settings, and I thought that this was a, a very strong match that these two had to finish off the night. He definitely did, yeah. It's interesting looking
1: at Okan's record. Um, you know, starting he had a
0: hot start and then he fell apart.
1: Well, starting in this one, yeah, like he was booked to go three straight wins, and then with the Naito victory attached to his uh, record as well early on. I mean, he really felt like a front runner for half of this tournament, but the quality of those opponents was also the worst. I mean, he started off in a match with Tungaloa, and then Toroyano and then Yujiro Takahashi. But from that point on, you know, like, once he started losing, he also started to have really great matches, including, like, Zack Sabre Jr. here, uh, you know, then Ishii, Ibushi, and now Shingo Takagi. All of these matches were were very good. So, um, I agree with you. He's really kind of come alive. Unlike the previous two matches, or or at least maybe some of the more, um, the matches that maybe where he relied upon his um, amateur background a bit more, this felt, I felt... Like, there was a lot more of his theatrical side coming through with a lot of the crazy-looking strikes and Mongolian chops and kung fu punches and whatnot. But, you know, it was coupled with the stiff striking that you would expect from a Shingo match. So I thought a really versatile performance from him. And as usual, you know, a very hard-fought, good match from Shingo going 25 minutes. um, You know, very long, but I thought the pace was pretty well kept and, and the aggression was pretty well kept. So I went XL for it.
0: Yeah, this one this one goes uh, X, XL for me as well. They uh, I would I would highly recommend the last two matches for different reasons, but the they were enjoyable. Skip Kent and Tangaloa, like the plague. Um, Ronishi, strong ending to it. I enjoyed Abushi and Kojima and Hiromu and Kosei Fujita. You're not going to go wrong with that combination for an eight minute opener. So as a whole, I thought this was a pretty a pretty good show. But a um, look at it like there was. The usual 15-minute intermission, and they gave you another 22 minutes and 13 seconds that you could tack on to that intermission if necessary.
1: Sure, yeah. Bit, bit of a longer intermission than usual.
0: So after today's show, we have one more A-Block match, and that's the big show on Monday at Yokohama Budokan. Where one more Kenta, A-Block show. A-Block show, yes. Kenta, Kota Bushi, Shingo Takagi, and Zack Sabre Jr. are all tied with 12 points. So are you ready for some scenarios, way? Yeah, so it's a four-way tie, right? Four-way tie. So Kota Ibushi, he wins the block as long as he... he so the matches on Monday, we'll see Kota Ibushi against Kenta, Tomohiro Ishii against Toriano, Shingo Takagi against Yujiro, and Zack Sabre Jr. against Tangaloa. And, I mean, the, if, if we go by what that, that article that had gone out about abushi and Kenta, the block coming down to those two... There seems like a pretty good chance that that's what it comes down to well, at the end. I think, no doubt, Ibushi and
1: Kento will be the main event. I mean, just looking at the card. because I think it has be- to.
0: It's the only one where it's two people that are alive facing one another. The others are, I'm yeah. sure we'll see some spoilers or just tiebreakers ruling out, um, especially Zack. Zach could win, but... Actually, anyway,
1: I just don't think Ishii and Yano, or sorry, Shingo and Yujiro are going to headline. Nor Zack Sabre Junior. versus Tonga Loa. So, it, the, by far the biggest match, even no. without you know taking the scoring into account, is Kota Bushi versus Kenta. So, it's, so it'll, Abushi, it'll come back to
0: that. Yeah. So if Abushi beats Kenta, um, the only thing that could prevent that is that Zach. So Zach also has to lose because Zach would have a tiebreaker over Abushi. For Shingo to win, he has to beat Yujiro, and then both Kota and Zack Sabre Jr. have to lose. Kenta can win if he beats Abushi, and Shingo Takagi loses to Yujiro, which does not seem likely. Zack can win if he beats Tangaloa and Kenta loses in the main event, because Kenta would have the tiebreaker over Zack. My prediction is that Zack is going to get beat by Tangaloa in an upset. Shingo beats Yujiro. Ishii and Yano doesn't matter. And then I see Abushi beating Kenta, and Abushi wins the block. That's my prediction. I agree.
1: I think Tangaloa can upset Zack Sabre Jr., so it takes him out of it. Uh, Ujiro beats... Sorry, Shingo Takagi beats Yujiro, which leaves Shingo alive, but also... But, but it
0: means that Kenta... For, for Can-
1: Takagi to win. Kenta must beat Ibushi, then- which I don't think will happen. Yes. So I think Kota Ibushi will win.
0: There you go. That is that is Monday's show. And uh, the attendance I mentioned before. So throughout the G1, they've averaged 1,363 people per show. That's 1,620 for the A-block shows, 1,069 for the B-block shows that uh, – you wonder if, um, you know, you, you look at this and did the A block get hurt even more not having those big Naito matches uh, th- throughout the tournament as well? Like, there were some big ones to have with Takagi, with Kota Bushi, uh, But nonetheless, the A block, it looked better on paper and the attendance has reflected that, uh, outdrawing the B block shows by about 600 people almost.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's a it's weak week year for the g1 unfortunately uh i don't know business-wise how they would necessarily assess it but um do you feel like they could have done better given the circumstance
0: i think that they i don't think the i don't think they could have done much different that would have resulted in larger crowds for just fan appeal i think you could have put in one or two outsiders um I think you also could have looked at. I think the idea with Hiromu is, we best we have to come back juniors. with this. We have to do best of the Super Juniors, and you know people are just going to say without any thought, oh, put him in both. Like I am not putting that guy in back to back tournaments uh, with his history of health problems and knowing the level that he is going to want to perform at. And I think you have to pick one or the other. We do have another tour to think about, but selfishly, um, you know his involvement in this in this G1 would have been really novel to have a lot of Hiromu matches. But um, th- this is what they went with. It was a down year, I think, in interest level. But as we get into the matches, yeah, this is not the the volume of incredible matches we've had in years past. You still have gotten some pretty outstanding matches on, on the whole, uh, especially your your upper echelon one. So I don't think this has been a, a diminished year when it comes to great matches. We just don't have as many of them and looking ahead to the potential for next year. Certainly I think people have to look at next year if things are settled and you have this AEW alliance and things are opened up, um who knows the US. what Q one could look like next year.
1: Just New Japan America, you know, being as fruitful yeah as, as it has been on this side of the world, I mean, you know, never mind the, the talents that are typically a part of new Japan, but like all, all the, all the people that are, you know, affiliated with new Japan strong, but not necessarily, um, you know, involved in, uh, the, the J- Japan side of things
0: as well. I, I really hope next year we get involvement from everybody. If you get Danielson in the G1 next year, they will, that will be transformative for yeah. new Japan world. I, you know, I, uh, they talk like people talk about that
1: i just don't know if i see AEW letting him go for a, a month plus to do a tournament you know like when moxley was doing it that was before tv before tv yeah so i just don't really see a whole tournament for
0: it, it comes down to what um yeah what AEW is open to and you have to imagine though when this when they were negotiating that that subject came up. Like, we know Danielson's desire to do New Japan. Now, he has also mentioned the idea of it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to go there and quarantine for whatever it is, 10 to 14 days. Is is he willing at this stage of his life to leave his home for five weeks to do a G1? Like, that might not be... He might want to do New Japan. G1 is a different commitment. He may not want to do an entire G1. He may want to do... You know, I'll go over there for some big shows, but not an entire tour.
1: Yeah, I mean, he still seems very, somebody to me who still has uh, very much of a commitment to his home life as much as I think he, you know, he's wrestling Minoru Suzuki on a Friday as much as I think, you know, he wants to get wild with his wrestling side of things. I mean, a whole month away from family is, is a different level of commitment with two very young children at home and not to mention the the risk of injury, although you know, the everybody in these tournaments is, is very professional, but it's a lot of wear and tear on a on a on a person's body. So I don't really see it, but you know, can he show up for the occasional like on the final for a big match or, or wrestle kingdom? I I definitely think that's possible. Over at postwrestling.com slash g1, of course, we have our results of the day from the G one Climax 31 contest. Courtesy, as always, of Chris Angler. And in the G one listener contest standings still sitting atop Zach Smith at 61 points uh, RVD 311 in second place with 58 points cutting the lead a little bit closer only 3 points behind and then following the 2 of them is a 2 way tie for 3rd with Giants and Mario P both at 57 points so actually still a very close race here closer than it was in the, the days prior in the Daily Perfect Club, a lot of you guys chose uh, the show, show completely perfectly. Uh, there were no underdogs here, as even 54% of you accurately predicted that Kotobushi Ibushi would beat Tatsuya Naito. In the post-wrestling C-block standings, still atop top with a 4 out of 5 card today. Kate from Montreal at 53 points, really pulling away with the lead here. Brad the Archivist, also with a 4 out of 5 today, stands in second place at 50 points. And then Randobot, unfortunately only doing one out of five today, yet that was still good enough to nab Randobot, a third place ranking, followed by Mark D at 45 points, Mike Murray at 44 points, and then now tied for last place, Eric Marcotte, and unfortunately the C-block queen herself, Vivian Murray. So we'll see if Vivian and Eric out of the two who can compete to get out of the very bottom.
0: Well, before we sign off, we have constructed our our top matches of the G1 thus far going into the last couple of days. So, I have I have actually ranked every single match. I am not going to go through how, how, all of them.
1: How do you rank something, like, basically, like, in the 70 range? Like, how do you rank something? How do you know, like,
0: 50, 50 is above 51? I have no scientific formula for any of this. This is totally gut and feel, where after each show... I would just, like, from day one, I put, okay, what were the top five matches of the day? And put them in order. Then the next day, I add to the list, and add to them, and add to them. And it's all, I'm just trying to remember all of these specific matches, and I just go, was this around here, or this? Like, this is not, I I don't have some ranking system where I can break this down by, this This was a a
1: 7.6. Are you actually writing all of your, like, coffee ratings?
0: Because no, you were pretty no. out there with some of your coffee ratings. No, I, di- I didn't even try to keep track of the the coffee rankings. It's ju- it's just a list of the matches. Got it. Okay. Well, do you want me to go first? Uh sure. If you want to,
1: I actually have a top six. It's just kind of the way they worked out. But um, okay, my number six match of the tournament thus far is from day nine, in Shingo Takagi versus Kota Ibushi. And then I go to day two for Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kazuchika Okada. Then we go to day 13 for Kenta versus Zack Sabre Jr., a match I really enjoyed. Day one, Shingo Takagi versus Tomohiro Ishii, which I'm assuming might top a lot of people's lists. And then we go back to day nine and Zack Sabre Jr. versus Tomohiro Ishii. But my favorite match of the tournament thus far, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Shingo Takagi. I think you guys can see who I'm probably choosing for my MVP of the G1.
0: All right. Um, I I did a top 10 here. So going in ascending order, number 10 was Zack Sabre Jr. and Kota Bushi from day five in Kobe. Number nine was Kota Bushi and Tomohiro Ishii at Oda Ward Gymnasium. Number eight, Zack Sabre Jr. over Tetsuya Naito on the opening night in Osaka. Number six, Tomohiro Ishii against Zack Sabre Jr. Sorry, that was number seven is Tomohiro Ishii and Zack Sabre Jr. Number six, Kenta versus Zack Sabre Jr. from Osaka on day 13. Number five, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Shingo Takagi. I think you are seeing a pattern here. That was day three at Oda Ward. Number four, Kazuchika Okada and Sonata teasing the time limit. And that was from day 10 at Cork, Hall. Number three, Okada Tanahashi from the second night in Osaka. Number two, Kota Ibushi, Shingo Takagi, day nine in Nagoya and number 1 is still from day 1 with Takagi and Ishi in Osaka and i have 5 Zack Sabre Jr matches in my top 10 so he is he is the leader uh on my wrestler of the tournament listings so far with several days to go he is mine as well yes absolutely Alright, well there you go. We are now done. 15 days of the G1. I will be back tomorrow to go through the B block, which features Kazuchika Okada against Tama Tonga, Evil against Jeff Cobb, Hiroshi Tanahashi against Yoshihashi, Sonata versus Goto, Taichi versus Chase Owens, and then our non-tournament tag... Hiromu and Bushi against Ryohei Oiwa and Kosei Fujita. So the key matches there are Okada and Tamatonga for Okada to stay undefeated, and Evil and Jeff Cobb, where a loss by Evil would eliminate him. So we will find out tomorrow if Okada and Cobb will stay undefeated going into their match next Wednesday for the B-Block final, or if someone is going to incur a loss along the way.
1: Yeah, this is where it gets interesting as we play out scenarios. We kind of ran through the uh, B-block scenarios on yesterday's show. So if you want to check that out, join the Post Wrestling Cafe.
0: All right. So that's going to do it for us. We hope you enjoyed this uh, free edition of the G1 Podcast. If you want to jump on board the Post Wrestling Cafe, we will have a show out Thursday. We will also have a show out Monday, next wednesday and then we will be doing a free show thursday evening next week going through the final of the g1 as well as crown jewel we're going to lump all of that together because it's a packed day of wrestling with pretty much the show's running back to back with the g1 final followed by the crown jewel event at noon next friday next thursday thursday yes yes all right so there you go. That is it for us. Tune into the Wellness Policy once again, live Thursday, 1 Eastern, for all patrons. Dan Lebransky joining Wei Ting and Jordan Goodman to chat about music.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited about the chat. So yeah, tune in if you're a patron. And if you're not, listen to the show Friday.
0: And that is it for us. Go check out postwrestling.com. Leave us some feedback, and we'll speak with you tomorrow with more G1 coverage.